0: Greetings, friends. Welcome back to the Film Alchemist Podcast, the show where we look at movies we love, break them apart to find out what gives them their magic. I'm your host, Josh Griffey, joined as always by my baby-napping criminal hubby. Yeah, hey,
1: seed, how could you... Yeah, it's Alex Dandino.
0: <laughs> hey, seed, one of the all-time best burns. It's
1: one of my all-time favorite burns. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so yes guys we are balls deep in uh the pod gets caged month this is all things nicholas cage exciting news this weekend uh you guys will be hearing this during the week but as of friday mandy you can own mandy video on demand i bought it on amazon Woo. it is fucking bonkers And amazing. And I can't wait for you guys to uh, join us in watching that. So get Mandy. That'll be our next episode. Today, we're going back a little earlier, Cage. This is Raising Arizona. Um, This is pre-action star, Cage. This is is figuring himself out, Cage. But what I like and why we chose this, um, this is comedy, Cage.
1: Yeah, this is like not only comedy, Cage. This is like high-level comedy,
0: Cage. Like he's not. Yes, very not, good comedy, Cage.
1: He's not accidentally funny like he would be in The Wicker Man. He's like actually being funny because he's an actor.
0: <laughs> no, I mean this is the thing I've always thought of this role is it's it's kind of Nicolas Cage doing a more tough guy Gene Wilder routine. Interesting. But That's who he reminds me of in this movie as it's playing. I, I saw a lot of Gene Wilder in the performance. Okay. Um, Obviously, this is this is an early Cohen brothers. So this movie, high style, great pacing. Um, all of the characters in this movie are fucking phenomenal. I think this is the second Nicholas Cage brothers benefits movie. a lot from this. Oh yeah, this is what I like about this role though for Nicholas Cage is what I think this movie does well is it finds a way because not only does he shine in the comedic portions of the film, but he always has that. This kind of gets back to what we talked about a little with Leaving Las Vegas, which. The uh, the biggest theme of this movie is a guy like Nicholas Cage trying to find a way to fit into society with the rest of us average <laughs> lesser men.
1: Yes, I feel like this is a, definitely a recurring theme in Nicholas Cage movies. Is these exceptional people he plays feel like they do not belong in the normal society, so they try to find try to find their ulterior, their the other way to be a functioning member of a society they deem kind of unworthy. Like I think high. Being incarcerated all the time is actually has actually much more to do with the fact that he's functioning on a much higher level than the rest of us are. Everyone throughout the movie calls him stupid. <laughs> I disagree. I think he's actually understanding humanity at a at a deeper and more fundamental level than the rest of us can, and therefore people are penalizing him for it.
0: I mean, that's certainly one way to look at it. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, I. The opening of this film is really funny to me cuz it plays very Wes Anderson, right? It's very high-paced, uh, driven by the music, a lot of fast cuts. Everyone is kind of lined up very centered like a mugshot. Right. But so so early on in the movie, we get we get this kind of unlikely romance, right? I love Nicholas Cage sees Holly Hunter's character, and he sees his route, yeah, to a new life, the life of the everyman, right? By the way, Not a jailbird.
1: I love his voiceover through this because it's just straight up deadpan, like nonstop. Just he doesn't ever like go up or down. He literally just has one tone for the voiceover the entire time. I love that. <laughs> I have no idea why. But it, like, makes him a little more bumpkiny because, like, he has no feelings one way or another about something. He's just like, well, and then I met Ed. I knew. I'm like, wow. Like, it's almost. No, it's like, because
0: like, he comes from a long line of outlaws and outdoorsmen. It's like pre He has to Sling really Blade. focus when he writes.
2: <laughs> yes, that is exactly what it is.
0: Yeah, I, I don't know. I love this opening because. His moments with the parole board are just fucking pure gold, right? Because what we learn is that Nicolas Cage is enamored with robbing the same place, the shortstop, over and over <laughs> again. You're right. Always gets arrested. And then because he doesn't use ammunition, they always have to parole him right away. <laughs> and, and this gets to something they do early on, which I love, right? Is there is this, this need by the characters, right? Especially the prisoners to try to kind of church up the way they talk.
2: Yeah. And present
0: their outward face. Yeah. It's really funny how they, they kind of have, and you see it a lot later with John Goodman and his brother. Yeah. Just kind of way they retort to try to like class themselves up while being the cl- yeah. most classless people. John Goodman, William existed.
1: John Goodman and William Forsythe's characters in this movie are so fucking funny because like the whole, the whole movie from like the minute they escape prison to the minute they, by the way, Go back to prison through which the way they escaped, which is one of my all time favorite sight gags in a movie, by the way, is the ending when they're literally crawling back into the hole to go back into prison. <laughs>
0: like, it's We've one all of them in my- there, dude. I dream of that day. Every <laughs> day.
1: <laughs> but like the whole time they're calling like they're fucking bumpkin, terrible idiots. And the, like that stick up scene with like, it's a stick up. Hey, seeds. And like trying to make everyone else seem less important, like these guys are dumber than all the rest of the people in here. Because the stick up goes terribly, by the way. And like that is the kind of thing right. that you have going on throughout the movie is this that farcical element really also brings us back to like why Nicolas Cage is so great in this movie is he really does farce really well. Like that's the thing I think that he's the yeah. most. That's the thing I think he's most talented at as a comedic actor is his ability to commit to the world he's in.
0: This is an unsung moment of Nicolas Cage to me, right? So I was reading his interviews from the red carpet for Mandy. And I sent this to you earlier. He talks about in here how at this point of his career, he's kind of grappling with his legacy. Like, what is Nicolas Cage's legacy? Because he obviously had some some duds along the way, especially lately. And he kind of talks about his approach to acting. And Nicolas Cage's approach is he's like, I just never wanted to do naturalistic acting. Right. He's like, I have done it before. But to me, that's not where it's at. He he his theory is kind of to present this kabuki theater version of acting. Right. Where he will be kind of bigger and more absurd and cartoonish at times. But it it helps in that regard to to help elevate and express the meanings of. In the story, right? Right. And and this is this is often debated, right? Is it like minimalist, or do you get more in on style and zaniness? What I love about Nicolas Cage in this movie is it really hits at the core of something he's so good at, is that even in his most bizarre moments, mm-hmm. he always feels so real to the world he's in. Yeah. So he- while while giving you these kabuki style, and in this one, I would say it's almost kind of a it's kind of like a a nineteen twenty screwball comedy vibe, oh, but a you know, just like comedy. the redneck air. Yeah, yeah. And in in you know, he's kind of in this, like you said, farcical world that has this built in paradox of you know the kind of the screwball, fast talking people trying to be classier than they are, but they're all kind of you know down and out, maybe a little dumber than they should be. Right. So in this world of contradictions, and then as we see later, there's a lot of element of bigger fantasy. Um, And this and that Nicholas Cage makes you feel like he really exists in that world. Yeah. It's kind of this, it's, it's a weird Alice in Wonderland effect of Nicholas Cage, where he always feels natural to the world.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I think, yeah, that's exactly what I was saying. The thing that makes Nicholas Cage such an authentic actor is that he is strangely authentic to every single situation he's in. There's never a movie I've watched him in where I go, Nicholas Cage is in this movie, not the character. Like Nicholas Cage, whatever character he is in a movie, whether it's Ben Sanderson in Leaving Las Vegas, High McDonough in Raising Arizona, fucking Caster Troy in Face Off, uh, the guy in The Weatherman, like all these characters are distinct from that universe because Nicholas Cage says, "I am the character living in this universe. I'm not an actor portraying this character." That's Very important, and that's very much like why Nicolas Cage, I think, has been able to transcend sort of the Hollywoodiness of everything and not fade it away with time because he is these characters. It doesn't matter who they are. He is those people, and they are him. It's fascinating.
0: Yeah, and it it seems counterintuitive, right, that his acting is as good when he's kind of putting on these big you know, overly expressive, often over the top kind of performances. Right. But I think that speaks to the skill is that you can still root that somewhat to the ground. Right. You know, it's kind of like Dennis Hopper in Speed. You're like, that's just insane. Or Dennis Hopper in Blue Velvet. Dennis Hopper in a lot of movies, I guess. <laughs> Where you're like he feels very movie character at times. Right. Yeah. Nicholas Cage usually finds way, and to me, one of the best examples, and you know, as we're doing Nicolas Cage this whole month, we're kind of examining all his movies through the lens of him himself. To me, one of the best scenes in the movie that kind of shows you the best of Nicolas Cage is when he first, the, the cradle robbing scene, right? Yeah. <laughs> him walking in, and so there's there's this instantly built-in great look he has in the movie where, you know, he kind of has fashioned himself as he he thinks he's still this partial outlaw, right? Wild hair, weird clothes, this and that, and watching him try to to pick the babies right right yeah. and then as he does we see things start to go wrong he sets a baby down and it's running and it becomes this kind of tom and jerry episode of trying to keep the babies in line and you know the couple downstairs looking up what's that noise so you don't know if he's gonna get busted right right um there is this this look on his face as he begins to sweat there is this madness that consumes nicholas cage's face where you're like this guy should not be in a room with children. This is horribly wrong. <laughs> and he, the the madness exuding through that room, but also in his actions, he he's really lovingly trying to cradle the babies and, and keep them in line. And to me, I was like, this is the best of Nicholas cages, the insane amount of quirkiness and, and madness. He can fit into his body yeah. while still interacting in kind of a loving, good way with, with the most innocent. Yeah. You know, thing that you can find with your toddlers. It's it's a really interesting Nicolas Cage moment.
1: I think what's interesting. I think the thing I love the most about his performance in this movie is he has this. You see it later in his movies, but his like madcapness is so impressive because like focused through the Coen Brothers, this like version of what we end up going on later and seeing, which is like kind of this very wild version of Nicolas Cage through a lot of different movies through the Coen brothers though. It gets refocused so well into, yeah. Like that scene with the babies is so perfect. Cause it is this sort of like goofy madcap kind of thing. But even further down the line, like when the brothers show up at his house or like when they have that big fight in the house and like mess with the, like mess up the whole place, like even the final battle with, uh, with smalls, like, All these very mad cappy things in another actor's hands would be just fucking scenery chewing garbage. But because Nicolas Cage commits so heavily to being who this character is on screen, you believe every single second of every single moment he has. Like, that's the thing that I think is the power of the cage when it comes to especially raising Arizona, because in in any other he
0: he pulls off this. Yeah, he pulls off this great kind of white trash Cary Grant performance. <laughs> yes, um, which I I love. But so we kind of skipped over the the Goodman uh, and his brother arriving. Yeah. And I love one of my all-time favorite scenes in a movie is them coming through the mud, John Goodman emerging. In every scene he's in it feels like he's just ah! he's just screaming, right? This great Goodman scream. And then he lifts his brother up from the feet, right? Like yeah, feet being first birthed I into love the world, that. but this is a theme they do in the movie constantly, which is the these men just with these primal screams against the universe, you won't repress me, <laughs> you know, this Wild West thought of I'm this individual and I should be free and I'll do whatever I want. And what you said that the fight scene between Goodman and Nicolas Cage has some of the funniest versions of that. Yeah. And one of the moments that I just fucking died laughing was when Nicolas Cage and him are fighting, Nicolas Cage raises his hand up to fight, right? And John Goodman's like a big dude, right? This This is a... He's fighting to save this child. Nicolas Cage is in his end. This should be right this hardcore moment, but it's reduced to this kind of just silliness, right? The ultimate silliness of these men trying to be so manly. But when Nicolas Cage raises his fist and his knuckles scrape the ceiling, he goes, <laughs> ah!
2: Yeah, that's... <laughs>
0: And we i getting tackled i'm I'm so glad you brought
2: that
1: up the The whole whole movie is just
0: taking the piss out of this outlawness that he's invented for himself
1: i i wrote down i was like (laughs) nicholas cage scraping his nicholas cage scraping his knuckles on the ceiling might be one of the high points of this movie like it's so subtle and quiet and minute and minute but honestly like that moment right there i fucking died laughing like i woke andrea up i was laughing so hard like, that was so, like...
0: Yeah, the whole silliness of that scene. Because this is the thing. It's like two outlaws, right? It's this great good, the bad, and the ugly moment. Yeah. And it's just the, the silliest, most ludicrous fight while the other brother sits in the, the bathroom and just kind of coddles the baby very sweetly. <laughs> it's, it's just... it's, But it's so fucking... Because that's what you're saying, right? Like, this is some... And this is the Coen brothers, right? Is they are masters of subverting... Uh, the tone of what you expect for different genre fare right and they do that to great effect in this movie um one of the things i i found that i loved about this movie watching it again i love the use of the baby in this film right because the whole movie like we said it's kind of these down and out losery types but everyone who comes in contact with this baby yeah seemingly starts to fall in love with it and tries really hard. I I absolutely uh, adore that. Take care of the the baby.
1: I adore that entire like kind of, yeah, like the enchantment a child just bestows upon you. Like, it's really fascinating to me. Like, because these are all terrible people. Like from look, I think obviously Ed is the most redeeming has the most redeeming qualities, but all the rest of them in the movie are absolutely terrible people. Like Nathan Arizona is a piece of shit. High is kind of a dick. The brothers are <laughs> Probably the biggest piece of shit. Yeah. Nathan Arizona is like a legit <laughs> piece of shit in this movie. Like even de- like even the fucking kid running the shortstop with the fucking huge cannon that he's got behind the counter. Like, every <laughs> like everybody sucks in this movie. But as soon as the little kid gets introduced, like I the sequence with the brothers uh, doing the stick up at the bank might be one of the funniest, like. They go in, they're like, Well, we can't leave the baby in the car. What if we get killed? And they're like, That bill it'll take days for them to find the baby. And then the next <laughs> shot is them but walking in and they're oh. holding the carrier.
0: <laughs> oh my god. John Goodman's got it thrown over his shoulder while he's holding the shot. <laughs> <laughs> and this is another great moment where they keep leaving it on the roof of the car. Yeah. <laughs> and then having to drive back for the baby. That's another great like, but This is what uh, I mean. There's this great uh- oh it's uh, yeah that the primordial screams again but there's this this great like i love the scene when nicholas again this is another great nicholas cage kind of moment he has some great subtle facial and body acting in this but when he robs the store again right he's at his wits end so he's we should just do it's a really long segment of the movie but i love this when he he's having lunch right with his good friends so he's already met the prison buddies. You can tell he wants to cut loose. He feels a little bit back in his element. Right. Right. The outlaws restoked. And the family comes over with the five kids or whatever. Oh, my God. <laughs> and Nicholas Cage is just watching these fucking kids abuse his car and write fart on the wall right. and, and throw food at him. You can just see it building. Right. And then his friend who's just like, again, it's this indictment on all of us, like married family guys, <laughs> this horrible piece of shit. And he's like, hey, maybe we should fuck each other's wife. And Cage punches him, right? You can see the, the outlaw seething. Yeah. Well, they go to the store because they need diapers. And he he goes to the shortstop again, right? So this is where the the baby concept to me smashes in with the, the kind of Western movie they're doing a little bit. Right. Which is where I love the idea of these fucking terrible people doing terrible things. Like, Nicolas Cage just wants to be a criminal again. He wants to get his adrenaline fix and feel like a man again. Right. Reclaim his identity. But he keeps – it's for diapers. Yeah. So that the imagery of this, like, criminal running down the street with diapers as people are trying to shoot and kill him is just fucking great. It's pure cinema gold.
1: That scene when he almost gets
0: run over and he's like,
1: get out of the car. Boy, you got a panty on your head? Yeah.
0: But this is the other thing, dude. People are just chasing him through suburbia, right? Right. The cops show up and without even asking questions, they're just fucking blasting away. The, the little convenience store kid is blasting Yeah, away. holy
2: shit, by the way. They like, run
0: through someone's house just shooting guns. There's some They're awesome. They're running through the supermarket shooting guns. It's this total indictment of Nicolas Cage running through the world he wishes he was a part of. Yeah. <laughs> it's the system's just like, fuck you. We don't want you so much. We'll kill everything. Slash, you. like,
1: also mild social commentary on how fucking, crazy you've got, how fucking crazy people with guns are down in Arizona. Yes. Sorry, Arizonans. Yeah,
0: right. No, there's <laughs> definitely a part of that, but I I like the concept of Nicholas Cage, kind of running and unable to stop in all of the hallmarks of the suburban life <laughs> it, he's supposed to yeah. have. I love that like he, he runs, runs down the, the in stairs the rollers, into the, and the basement butcher at the grocery out. store has a gun.
1: Yeah, <laughs> every every aspect of suburbia he runs through. Everyone has a gun and everyone's trying to shoot him. But it's interesting too because. It's also this kind of allegory for his character, the entire movie, like he's trying to get in that club the entire time. And yet he's just not that person. So every time he's, every time he finds himself in that situation of doing something normal, everyone who is normal is saying, get the fuck out of here. You are not part of this. Like something about that is just so sweet and subtle. And it's sort of one of those things that flies under the radar in the movie. And again, it's amped up to just like Nicholas Cage is just so incredible in the sense that he's able to sell this the entire time. Like, I feel like in an, not even in lesser actors, because the Coen brothers don't generally have lesser actors in their movies, but like any other kind of actor would not have known how to play this properly. I don't think like there's a way that Nicholas Cage does this character and makes this movie work that only Nicolas Cage can do. And I think it's because, like we said earlier, Nicolas Cage commits immediately to being who this person is. There's no, there's nothing like, he knows who he is, he understands the person he always needs to be, but there's no, like, take back from that. There's no sort of, like, you don't have to see acting or anything like that to know that Nicolas Cage is this character. You just know it from the get-go.
0: What's really fascinating, is as I watched the movie, I was like, John Goodman would have been in the running for uh, you know, the HI role. Like yeah. that seems like a good John Goodman, but then you start imagining the kind of the big swaggering, you know, kind of thing. And it's so funny because John Goodman's a great actor. Yeah. And you can't imagine that they didn't imagine him for that role at some point. Oh no. To me. And and just thinking of the differences, but Nicolas Cage being able to walk the world between kind of this this believable criminal. Uh, you know, but also this this very sweet natured guy trying to make it work, and he kind of has a poet soul, right? He's always writing the letters, and you know, while monologue, his 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 words are very sweet and earnest, and he's very introspective. He's having the dreams, right? So Nicolas Cage walking between the zaniness and the the toughness of the character, but also giving you that emotional chewy core, man. It's like a, a perfect. Little Oreo of genre. man.
1: (laughs) Wow. Well done there. I really enjoyed that. Um, We haven't talked. shows
0: over. I'm retiring. No,
1: (laughs) we haven't talked about her much, but I do want to say I also think Holly Hunter is just fucking amazing in this movie. Like she's she's great. Like she's incredible in a lot of things, but she is so she's such a great like. Boiled to Nicholas Cage because she really has to play the straight man in this movie because she's the one who she's been a cop, she understands she's on one side of the law, and what's fascinating is when they decide to kidnap Nathan Jr like
0: mm.
1: he is the one who says like I don't think we should <laughs> I do think
0: this. I think Nathan Jr no one knows which baby it is the whole yeah movie. whatever
1: yeah whatever <laughs> whatever kid it is that might be one of my favorite lines in the movie is they're like, which baby was it uh, Nathan Jr I think and he fucking walks yeah, away from the kids. Even kid the like, parents. <laughs> well done, well done. But that scene in the car before he runs in to steal one of the kids, like, or he goes in, comes back out, and tells Eddie. he's like, "I don't think we can do this." Her like stare down of him is so like hilariously emasculating because she's the one who the whole time has been like, "I," you know, she was a cop. She had very specific morals. She has very strict moral code. And the whole time she literally emasculates him for not doing the thing he 's really good at doing, which is get like we just stealing things, although he 's not very good at it because he gets caught a lot but regardless, like <laughs> this whole like sort of emasculating thing about not being able to kidnap a child is really funny to me, and again, it just goes to and then that the rest of the like that ending scene where she uh is confronting smalls the guy on the on the motorcycle. She, her like walk down and like, give me that baby like that. I'm like, fuck dude. Holly Hunter is just totally kick-ass in this movie. I fucking love that whole, that whole sequence at the end with Smalls is so awesome, but she is just a fucking badass in the entire thing. I love it. And it's not easy to be, it's not easy to be on camera or on set with Nicolas Cage when he's just doing that kind of thing. And she just holds her own like a boss, man. It's great.
0: I mean, think of all the like big personality and actors she's surrounded by. Francis McDor doing like this mom from hell. Yeah. Nicholas Cage, John Goodman.
1: <laughs> you know? Yeah. Randall Tex Cobb. And like and she totally holds big, her own.
0: Big characters. And yeah, she gives this kind of just subtle I know exactly what I want. I'm willing to work for it. It's it's a really good performance. Like at the end when they take Nathan Jr. back, her acting in that scene where she's like, We don't want the money, man. Can I just like look at him for a little longer? It's just awesome. Like, she really gives an amazing performance in this. Yeah. Um, We haven't talked about yet, but we got to talk about Lauren Lauren Smalls. (laughs) So this is the biker of Nightmare, right? Uh, And Nicolas Cage, he has these visions, and he sees this vision. He says, a man who has all the power. Nicolas Cage is actually haunted by his soon-to-be decision of being in the Ghost Rider franchise. (laughs) He's seeing his future movie career barrel down the road at him. Uh but yeah, he imagines this man with all the powers of hell and just this this great fucking just cartoon character of a movie character, right? Oh yeah. Like this so guy is this funny. guy was
1: this guy was drawn, I think. One of the cones must have doodled him and said, Is there an actor who could do you think do this? And they're like Uh eh, <laughs> No, but I think there's a professional boxer who could probably do it. Like there's like it's amazing. I love it.
0: Well, like his intro is him tearing down the freeway and hitting a little rabbit with a grenade. Yeah, no. <laughs> no. There are these amazing, huge, fucking mushroom cloud explosions behind him everywhere he's driving. Fucking, it's so fucking. fucking shooting
1: funny. lizards off rocks. You're like, God, dude, this movie is incredible.
0: Right, and it's cool because at the end we get this big badass, uh, you know, kind of comedy moment of him just, you know, it's like the holy ham grenade of Antioch moment. <laughs> yeah, where he's exploding rabbits everywhere he goes. Right. But the Coen brothers throw this extra fun layer in, which we, we learn at the end is that he's essentially this avatar for how Nicolas Cage sees himself. Right. Which is so funny because, yeah, at the end, because Nicolas Cage even described him. He's like, he's one of these things that's a tear to the small, innocent, cute <laughs> things around him. And that's how Nicolas Cage feels. And then at the end is they're fighting and Cobb's just whooping his ass, right? They pull the shirt open and he has the same Woody Woodpecker tattoo. Yeah. And there's this cool moment because as he rides up on the motorcycle, he does the the primordial scream, right? But his is like an actual – they dub in a lion roar <laughs> instead of like all the other like, ah! Yeah, it's like – So he's like the most super alpha. And as Nicolas Cage and him are fighting, when Nicolas Cage pulls the grenade, he looks at Leonard Smalls and just says, I'm sorry. Yeah. And I was like, that's such a cool little extra element because most filmmakers, I think, would see that and they're like, well, this is a plot hole. Right. This is a plot hole. If you do the tattoos and this, like, people are going to be confused and is he real? Is he not? And you're like, it's not the point. It's just a fun extra yeah. in the movie to me. I think the it other, doesn't matter if they're connected or bonded. It's just fun. Yeah, uh, extra character. I think the other
1: thing that's really interesting is he's the only one who knowingly puts the kid in danger. Like everybody else loves that child and then accidentally like leaves them. He's the only one who. Picks the kid up and literally puts him on the front of his fucking motorcycle and starts to ram people
0: with it. Well, also that his motorcycle has like a baby seat clip. Right. I was well, like, this is a bad. Day. Well, he has those charred baby. He has booties those little charred baby
1: booties, and I'm not sure what that's about. <laughs> but I think what you're saying though is really interesting. I think because I love that. I love that idea of him of like you know Small's being the avatar for who how Nicholas Cage sees himself because. Nicolas Cage sees himself putting this kid in danger at all times. And I guess the charred baby booties would make sense because if Nicolas Cage sees himself as that, he would be the reason that charred baby – he would have to live with the fact that he ruined a kid, that kind of thing.
0: So Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean it, to me it's one of those things like while it seems like it opens up whatever, that's kind of the fun magical ability that the Coens have. Yeah. Which is they're one of those – group like filmmaking duos they don't mind leaving you with a lot of questions yeah. sometimes and i think that's such an underappreciated um ability to not only be willing to do that but to get studios to let you do that <laughs>
1: well and i think that's the the thing about their films is i wouldn't even say it's necessarily about them leaving you with questions a lot of the time what they're doing is just they're leaving they're leaving questions hanging out there and you need to conclude on your own because they're in the middle of finishing the a line of the story like the story that everyone who's just watching the movie and doesn't really care about anything else they want to finish that but they're dropping little things for you to just kind of grab onto so you can go back and rewatch the movie over and over again I've seen this movie three or four times in my life and I can tell you every single time I've watched it I've felt differently about it at the end this time I can tell you I felt because we were watching it with a more analytical eye, I was I felt a little differently about it. Like that's what's so beautiful about the way the Coens make movies, and especially Raising Arizona, because it is a screwball comedy farce, like whatever you want to call it. But also, it is sort of this strange little allegory for you know kids and parents. Like there's literally no other like, for what kids do to parents and what parents do to kids. Like there is. No finer allegory in film, I think, than a man seeing himself as a giant warthog from hell, so to speak, holding a kid. And you're like, holy shit, I could totally ruin this child. Like that's that's a really that's a really beautiful imagery. And that's whether it's intentional or not is kind of beyond reproach, because that's what's so awesome about the way the Coens make movies, like you said, is that they're not answering questions for you. They're just dropping little things here and there for you to talk about.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and I, I certainly not out of laziness or unawareness. It's no, just, you know, all. they they don't feel the need to spoon feed you all the time. No, I love. And you got to it there a little bit. I love what they do in this movie, too, because a lot of this movie is about the death of a man. Right. Mm-hmm. Like when you have kids, you your life does change. It's an inherent death of who you were. Trust me, I've gone through this. <laughs> right. Um, and a lot of parents don't adjust well. Like you see the guy who has the five kids. He's just like, ah, fucking let him do whatever he wants. He's trying to maintain who he was. Right. And he's like, I can cure that. He's like, just try to find a way. And his idea is he still wants to go fuck everyone else's wives. Right. So you're like, in a way, that guy doesn't seem like he's changed much. Right. He's not being a good parental figure, a good husband. He's not trying to help raise his kids. Seemingly, he's just looking for another pussy. right? (laughs) And so that makes him a bad guy, even though he's not a criminal. Nathan, Arizona is a prime example. He seems like a bad guy because even during the press conference, right, we still have a sale. And then at the right. end when they bring the baby back, the first thing he does is set his loaded pistol in the crib <laughs> and yeah, he goes to right? make sure his kid is all right. <laughs> and he doesn't know the name of the kid. Nathan Arizona doesn't shift his behavior right? Um, seemingly when he has five kids. So that – because you got to it too. uh, John Goodman and his brother do. They have that great moment like – We'll never let him go. He's jail. He's Gail Jr. Now. Yeah. And after the blue bomb, when they take the baby back, John Goodman's running down the road. That's our baby too.
1: (laughs) God, dude, there's just so many of these great John Goodman is just the best, like boisterous screamer of all Coen brothers movies. I don't think I've watched a Coen brothers movie where he hasn't been just like shouting at someone at some point, like
0: even in serious movies, yeah. Voice amazing.
1: Even in serious movies like Barton Fink, where he's just like, I'm the life of the mind. I'm the life of the right. mind. Like, there's like, <laughs> you're still just like, fuck, man. He, like, every other actor, except for Nicolas Cage, I would say, whenever people start yelling at people, I'm like, this is really kind of not acting at this point. You're just kind of screaming. He's the only one in Nicolas Cage who I think are still trying to like art, art, artfully yell at people. It's something about that is just.
0: I disagree. I judge every actor by their scream acting. It's my it's my first litmus test.
1: Yeah. So you're obviously You know what else I realized
0: too? (laughs) There's a cool thing in the movie too they do with not only the baby being kind of this this necessary moment of happiness for broken people, but you can also tell who's supposed to be the good people by who has the Dr. Spock baby book. (laughs) The fact that John Goodman, they just beat the shit out of this guy and steal the baby, and they come back in and John Goodman grabs the baby book. Right. That's such a fucking interesting decision to have your character make. Because <laughs> they're not even fully bonded yet. But it tells you immediately that there's this open-heartedness to it. Right. Even though they're escaped convicts and they just beat up Nicolas Cage and they have shotguns, they're going to go rob the hayseeds. The grabbing the book always signifies this this openness of heart with the characters. It's a really cool extra touch they add. That's
1: another one of my favorite lines. The first time he grabs it from the nursery, he comes like, I got the baby. Uh, here's the manual. Like, that is like... <laughs> here's the
0: instructions. <laughs> i fucking love Uh, it's such oh i have to tell you i love when these moments arise but so i was watching this movie doing the notes and amy came downstairs she had just woken up right amy's my wife listeners and she was half groggy and she came down and it's the very end scene when in in the nursery they're giving the baby back and uh nathan arizona was doing his spiel and amy walks downstairs turns to the tv squints and she goes you bastard and i go what (laughs) I was totally taken aback. She goes, you bastard. I'm like, what is your problem? And she goes, I can't believe you're watching the Mr. Rogers documentary without me. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, She thought Nathan Arizona was rocking Mr. Rogers wear, according to my wife. Oh, Amy. Oh, God. I love when Amy interrupts me with her her hilarious hot takes. (laughs) Hot take. Yeah. Good one, Amy. Okay, question for you to wrap this up. Do you think H.I. and Ed uh, live the happy life of his, his distant dream, dreaming further than he ever has?
1: No. Not even. Why not? Because while this movie is very based in this sort of fantasy, I, I also think that and this is something the Coen's do really well and that I love is that the Coen brothers also admit a lot of the time that reality is reality. And, um, cause like if this was a fantasy and this was something that was like a screwball comedy is supposed to work out, they would have gotten the baby, they would have gotten the Huggies and they would have taken off somewhere. So to me, the reality is that high ends up going back to jail for sure. And Ed figures out another job. They probably don't <laughs> stay together to be honest with you. She I,
0: probably is swapping with that dude. That yeah. tells the Pollock jokes. Well,
1: <laughs> I mean, like, honestly, my fate, that's I think the line ends so well, the movie ends so well on that line where he's talking about his family and he goes somewhere else, maybe Utah. And then it fucking cuts. (laughs) And you're like, damn. Yeah. Yeah. No, I don't think it ends like spectacularly well for the McDonough's. I, uh, I think that that is, that's the dream we all have. It's the dream we all have that like everything works out and our family loves us and we all get along and we all sit at Thanksgiving together and don't bitch. But, the truth is every single family has one or more people in it who love to bitch at family gatherings and aren't necessarily, <laughs> like, and that's the literal interpretation. But from the, I guess, more metaphorical perspective, we all have family problems. There's no like perfect family who shows up, plays Parcheesi and goes home. Like we all have these You guys things. don't do that? No, Here. sorry. Not, not in my family. But we all have these things though. We all have people that are close to us, but eventually we're like, well, I don't really know what to do with you. Like that's that's the reality of the situation. So no, I do not think the dream comes through. I think they get a version of the dream, but the reality must set in as well.
0: See, to me, I look at the movie, especially near the back end, it's it plays more like a a fairy tale to me, right? Sure. The more the more we get in with Leonard Smalls and uh, you know, all these kind of moments. I, I think there's there's a, a fantastical element that takes over. So in my mind, I like the thought that um, they're almost rewarded by the Blue Fairy, right? Like she comes down and is like, well, you guys did do one thing right, and you're not going to jail. Right. The fact that Nathan doesn't call the cops on them leaves me somewhat optimistic. And to your point, that could be a false optimism. But that's one of the things that Nicolas Cage fills this performance with is – he has this belief in himself and this optimism throughout. Yeah. Uh, mis- misbegot- or mis- misbegotten or not, he does have this kind of overall idea that things can work out for him. Yeah. And and you, know, you see the moment in the letter when he's going to leave and he's like, I'm just going to ruin everything, whatever. As soon as he has that primal throwdown with Goodman, he's back, right? Like, right. I did fuck up and I'm going to do better. And I I think that's one of the cool things in the performance is that it would be easier to make, and this also goes to the Coen brothers, it's easier to make this movie is a Tarantino style flick to me, right? Oh, yeah. Where it's like criminals running around trying to, you know, score the the payday at the end. But there's so much heart and optimism to almost all of these characters, Um, even as their situations vary, but are almost always not good. Almost yeah. no one in the movie seems truly happy. Actually, I would say probably no one, and I, I think that's that's a cool thing that Cage supplants in because we all. I think a lot of us gravitate to the more hardcore Cage, and you know, like you said, the oh, he's barely a human among us, Cage, right? You know that we have now. Like we'll probably uh, be talking about in Mandy, but there's there's something just that the big amount of heart that he puts into this. You know, it's the kind of thing we all know and love from Tom Hanks, but doesn't always fit with Nicolas Cage, who's kind of playing this outsider above, um, but breaking down type of character very often. Yeah. And I, I think it's cool to see him do this. You know, to me it's it's Gene Wilder, it's White Trash Cary Grant, a ton of fucking heart. You want it to work out for him. Yeah. You know, I think it's that it's the whole visual symbolism of the unloaded gun, right? That's what Nicolas Cage is in this movie.
1: Yeah. He's the he's the loser you root for because he's not doing anything. He's not it's he's robbing convenience stores, one convenience store particularly with an unloaded gun. (laughs) Like that's someone who's premeditated understanding what they're doing. So really you're rooting for him to just figure out like I'm gonna stop doing this, I'm gonna get like you know, like, I love that sequence at the beginning when he's working at the sheet metal factory and just fucking hates it. And all he ever hears is some guy tell him a terrible like that's all of our lives. So I think yeah. that's the really fascinating thing about Nicolas Cage's characters that deep down, as weird and goofy and farcical as this character and this story is, it is all uniquely relatable. Like especially like that ending where Nathan is talking with Ed and High and she's he's like I mean, you know, we just kept trying. You got to keep trying. You got to, you got to think, we got to hope for the best. Like that to me is kind of the proliferation of the story, which is Nicolas Cage goes and then has a dream about his best life. Like that's, that's what the movie, that's a movie, what it, it ends up being about is like, you can't just take, you can do as much as you can, but you can't just take something and say, this is my, this is the best version of life now. Like you have to work at it.
0: Yeah, well, there's the iconic scene of them sitting on the lawn chairs, mm-hmm. right, watching the sunset. Yeah. And there's this great little sequence there where they're kind of maintaining their house and property. And, you know, it's it's like a little shitty trailer. And it's the kind of thing you watch and you almost are like, oh, that's not good. Yeah. But when they're sitting on that chair truly in love and he's trying. Mm-hmm. And they talk about that's why they want a baby so much is because Ed says there's just too much beauty uh, for just the two of us. Yeah. And then every day we wait a day that he might regret having missed all the beauty. And I was like, that's such a fucking cool and beautiful summation of the movie, right? Which is no matter how bad it is or we think they have a life that's not enviable, um, they just see this huge amount of beauty and opportunity on the horizon. It's kind of the, you know, when you're at the bottom, you know, you look up from the abyss and you see the the light up there,
2: Right, right. Like, yeah.
0: Well, it's easy to just get lost in it, these characters always have this kind of optimism to them that makes this movie a fun and different version of a story we've seen a lot of times. Agreed. I love it. Nicolas Cage, to me, and we asked this at the end of Leaving Las Vegas, right? Would you put uh, Ben Sanderson as a top five Nicolas Cage performance? And even though he won the Oscar, to me, it's not in my top five favorite. Do you have this? H.I. Uh, McMaster as a top five Nicholas Cage performance for you? Um,
1: yeah, I think I think High McDonough is one of his best. or
0: High McDonough. What I say, McMaster.
1: <laughs> I think High McDonough is one of his best characters because he is uh, he is devoid of uh, guile. Like he is the most honest character, even though he do, does dishonest things. And not only that, right it's a comedy and it's a screwball comedy with an honest good guy. Like there's something about that. That's just so beautiful. And he's been a comedic actor in other movies too. Like I love him in adaptation, but he's also a mess and he doesn't know what he's doing. And he's, you know, he's unsure of everything. I, there's something about the sureness that he's doing the right thing, even though he's doing the wrong thing that I really respect and love about, uh, the way the character's written. So yes, I would actually include this in his top five performances.
0: Yeah, see, I'm the same way. Like, not only does he just benefit. I mean, to me, if the Coen brothers do anything better than everyone else, it's make sure that every character in every one of their movies is interesting. So he benefits a lot from that. But, again, I, I'm with you. The, the way you said it is is—he's he, he lacks the cynicism and guile of a normal Nicolas Cage kind of outsider guy who's breaking down. So I like seeing the range of the comedy, and I think he's fucking phenomenal at it. Um, so not only does he benefit from a Cohen script, but it's a different ability that he has and is really good at. It's not just like if Tom Hanks played a serial killer and you're like, well, of course he was good, you know? Right? Like he's really, really good in this role. So yeah, for me, the the being a little different, the insane amount of memorable, you know, kind of moments and big scenes in this movie, right. uh, I would have to place this among the best Nick Cage performances. And also probably in my top five favorite Nick Cage movies, which is a harder list to crack. True. Wow. So yeah, that one's tight. I'd have to. I'd have to debate that one, but
1: that's tough, though. Hmm.
0: I think I could. I had forgotten how truly phenomenal this movie is. on On just, it's just one of those pieces that has so much fucking vibrance and energy to it. It's not formulaic. It's just kind of, it's just alive. I love those movies where you're like the just energy of it is popping off the screen, and that's what this movie is.
1: Yeah, I wonder if it would be in my... I'm not sure it would be in my top five Nicolas Cage movies, but it definitely isn't one of my top five Cohen. It's hard, man. It's one of my top five Cohen brothers movies, for sure.
0: Yeah, top five Cohen for sure. Nicolas Cage, though, because you're like... I'm pretty partial to... Like, Con Air and The Rock... The Rock or Deadlocks have to be on there. Right. And then everything after that is a little more wishy-washy for me, right? Like, it it just kind of depends on the mood I'm in with The Cage. I
1: think so, like... That's what's so great about Nicolas Cage is and this is what's so fun about this month's curation is it's all mood dependent. Like whatever version of Nicolas Cage you want to see, there's a version of him out there that will provide you with that version. Like Yeah, oh, and I'll man. tell you
0: this straight up, Mandy is probably in my top 5 favorite Nick Cage movies already.
1: All right. I like that. Big
0: fucking praise. I- so <laughs> that's it uh guys, that's Raising Arizona. Uh we did that we did our Leaving Las Vegas. Uh, next, we have acquired Mandy. You guys should do the same. You can buy it video on demand. Uh, we are still with Wild at Heart. We still have Con Air. That's a banger. Woof. Can't wait. Uh, due to special fan request, uh, a friend of the show, Heath Benfield, an old friend of mine, one of my favorite people to bash and uh, hash out movies with, I should say. He sent us a very well-reasoned and interesting Uh, message imploring us to add bring out your dead the nick cage martin scorsese flick um, as a great showcase for kind of the weird ticks and eccentricities of nicholas cage so as a bonus we're just gonna add that and you guys can still vote for another bonus cage
1: honestly there's no shortage of nicholas cage movies so we're pretty much uh you know taking them as they come i guess
0: That's true. I mean, time willing, I would love to just do every single Nicolas Cage movie in order. (laughs) If
1: I could just do, and I'm not kidding, there's probably two years worth of curations for Nicolas Cage movies, we'd probably be doing that.
0: Yeah, I've already thought of good Nicolas Cage puns, so when we come back to Nicolas Cage month, we'll be ready. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, guys, so uh, for sure, Con Air, Wild at Heart, Mandy, which you can acquire now, uh, Video on Demand. And also, if you're cool like Dandino in L.A., you can also do the theaters. And Bringing Out the Dead or Bring Out Your Dead, whatever it is. It's
1: Bringing Out the Dead. It's a Martin Scorsese
0: movie. Yeah, where he's the EMT ambulance driver. So we're going to do that. You guys can still vote on a cage that you hope to see. And if you have a really good, well-thought-out reason to implore us to any other Nick Cage movie, we're all ears. Right here. We're all ears. We'll put in the work if you guys help us help you. Do it. That's it, guys. Follow the Film Alchemist podcast list on the Letterboxd app. That'll let you know what's coming up so you can get ahead of the curve, stay abreast, watch all the movies before the shows drop. You can follow us on social media, uh, Facebook and Twitter, all that good stuff. Uh, Please share that with your friends. Let's get the conversation going. And if you guys would take a moment... Please write a uh, quick review and rate the show wherever you find the podcast. It seems like a little thing, but it helps us track and find a bigger audience. The more alchemists we get, the more weird amazing gems we're going to find to present to you guys, and that's what we're hoping to do above all else. Please,
1: please. We love doing this show. Please please make yeah. please make this as please make it as exciting for yourselves as it is for us
0: when we get to do this stuff. Yeah, don't be a prickly pear. Prickly pear <laughs> <laughs> Alright guys, that's all the cage we can take before our small normal man minds collapse on themselves. See
1: ya hay seeds.